Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex and I'm one of your hosts, a little under the weather, but with me and even more under the weather is... Um, Alex Stephen. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. You sound a little rough. Yeah, we'll make it through. How much of that is your wild night out and how much of that is your genuine illness? Um, I, I've had wild nights out pretty much every night this week, Alex. Oh, so wow. So who knows? Wow. Um, Alex is the wildest mathematician. Yeah that exists (laughs) I've been planning a party and in particular I've been planning how to make my library into a puzzle room okay Um, because that's the first stage of planning a party right what is a puzzle room so uh, there's a bit of a fad here in the UK of escape rooms typically you have an hour to get out of the room and there's lots of locks everywhere it's a bit like a, a point and click escape the room flash game Yep. Where you're finding codes and you're pushing them into places and you're getting keys. They're really good fun. They're usually themed. And I, I'm designing one for my next party. In, I'm going to buy a whole lot of like combination locks and things. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I feel I can reuse them in my classroom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you probably can. Bit weird, but I, f- I think my friends will be able to put up with it. I'm going to give you too many details because you will be invited to this. Oh, wow. In my library. Wow, when is it? Details, Alex. What matters is the puzzle room. <laughs> of course, that's the first thing you prepare. Um, who wants to do some maths? I do, please. Right. How, how about for a change, you start this time? Yep, that makes sense. So, I've decided that I'm always going to hit you with the harder problem first. Because I want to end on a high. And so, I promise that the problem after this one is one we'll actually be able to solve. Okay. With that in mind... Welcome to the Monster and Princess game. It's something that was introduced in 1965 in a book called Differential Games, which is not a book I own, but sounds great. The idea is there's a monster and there's a princess, and they're in some sort of bounded area. They're in some sort of room. It's completely dark, so neither can see the other. And both of them are going to be moving around. Usually in these problems, the monster goes always at its top speed, and the princess can go whatever speed she likes. She can stop, she can start and that's all fine. Uh The game is that the monster wants to find the princess, and usually it has some sort of a catchment radius, that when the princess is within that certain radius, it has caught uh, the princess. Yeah. The idea here is to come up with some sort of strategy for each of the players as to what they should do. Right. So, for example, if we started it in a corridor, so a 1D thing, where they're just shuttling up and down uh, the interval from minus 1 to 1, Mm-hmm. Let's say that each of them gets to pick where they start in the room. Sure. Independently. Yep. They can't see the other one. Yeah. Where should they go? Where should they run to? What's the strategy here? Right. So, it's a little game theory, ask. Yep. In my view, the monster should pick one end of the corridor and run to the other end. Okay. But incidentally, if the princess is assuming a random placement by the monster... Princess should also should also pick one end of the corridor and stay there. But there's always the chance that if the princess thinks that the monster is also going to pick one end of the room and run down to the other, that actually the expectation value of the amount of time that she'll last is equal to half the amount of time it takes to run from one end to the other, because the monster could just pick the same corner of the room that she's in, and that's it. Game over. Time equals zero. So, the reason I brought this up, the interesting thing about this, is the sweeper strategy. So, the monster going from one end and just going across is not optimal. 
Really? The idea being that if it always starts at one end, then you don't get all the ones which were near. You don't get all the ones which were in the local vicinity that have a very low expe- uh, low time, so they bring the expectation down. Right. By doing all sorts of uh, weird mixed algorithms, you can reduce uh, the overall time by about 8% from doing the sweep strategy. But it depends on the strategy the princess is using there. Yes, it does. And so the, the two strategies are usually developed independently of each other. I don't think this has been solved on the interval, minus one to one. The problem is, a lot of the articles I've been reading have been behind paywalls. And so I've got a lot of results from the 70s, where they're claiming it isn't solved, and I haven't been able to find anything more recent. Mm. But they've got bounds on these things. So we have bounds of, like, the expectation time. The idea is, you're not trying to reduce the longest possible time. It's not a minimax thing like that. You're trying to reduce the average time. Yes. So yeah. the expected time for the princess, assuming the monster uses the sweeper strategy, is a half, where the unit of time is the amount of time it takes to walk from one end of the corridor to the other. It's something close to that. Yeah, but you can probably improve on that in some way by potentially being the princess and then like being a quarter of the way in and then walking in one direction for half the time. Yep. And then turning back or something like that if they haven't been caught by a certain amount of time. I don't know. There might be something like that. Compare the situations where in one situation the monster starts at one end and sweeps across and in the other situation it starts in the middle and then goes to one of the edges. Yeah. In one of those situations it always captures it in the time it takes to sweep across. Half. In the other situation half the time it captures it quite quickly. Yeah. And the other half it doesn't. So in, in one of them, it takes it takes half to get to the wrong end of the room, and then one to get back again. So that's one and a half. Yep. And then the other, it takes half to go to the right side of the room. Yep. Which is half. So the expectation there is also... One. One. Which is not half. That gives a, um, a kind of justification that there will be other strategies more complicated than that one, which also have a similar expectation. Somewhere in between, yeah. Yeah. One that I did find that had a solution, but the solution is a big fractally sort of thing, is playing it on a circle. So imagine the corridor loops, and you can run either way. Right. And it's a lot harder to think about what the strategy would be there, so mm. I'm surprised that that one has a solution and the interval doesn't. Yeah. Another way that people play this game is not on a 1D thing, but in, say, 2D. That you're in some bounded area. Maybe a square. Um, what would you do if you were physically the monster or physically the princess and you were running around a uh, square room trying to avoid the other person where you have no information about where they are? It depends on your catchment radius and the ratio of that to the room. It's um, assumed to be small. So if I was the monster, I'd kind of assume that the princess was hiding in a corner and I would do laps around the outside. But then if I was the princess, I would assume that the monster thinks I'm hiding in the corner and I'd be somewhere in the middle. So yep. there's a sort of Roomba strategy where you <laughs> you strike across the room. Oh, uh, Roombas actually also spiral out from the inside as well. They have a couple of different modes. I haven't looked at their algorithm. I assume they just picked random direction, went for it, stopped. Picked random direction, went for it, stopped. Well, you've got to maximise coverage. So yeah. if, if you place a Roomba in an empty room, I think it, it has a sort of exploration mode where it'll it'll spiral out. And then if it hits something, it then will sort of reverse and start going spiralling in the other direction. But I've also recently seen a picture 
online of a uh, a Roomba that's finished a room and it's and it's sort of done lawn stripes. That's cool. Yeah. So this is, is the monster is actually kind of similar to a, to a Roomba in a way, except that nothing like the Roomba's target never moves, so it's a slightly simpler problem. You, you mentioned there the whole. Does the princess pick a corner or not? Mm. So if the princess always picks the corner, then the monster will go straight to the corners. And so the princess shouldn't always pick the corner, but then that's not as maximal distance away from the monster as picking a corner. And so you've got a kind of Nash equilibrium somewhere inside. Is it a Nash equilibrium? Uh, so all of these Game Fairy things have some sort of equilibrium somewhere along them. And we call them Nash equilibriums. Isn't a Nash equilibrium a particular type of equilibrium oh, maybe I'm using words that I don't know what they mean I thought it was all of all of these kind of two way table things in game theory had Nash equilibriums I think a Nash equilibrium is an equilibrium in which uh, for each player there is no better strategy yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have that I think in this one in the 2D thing we haven't proved optimal yeah. but the strategy seems to be that the princess goes to a particular place picked at random then waits there for some amount of time and then goes to another place and waits there some amount of time and repeats the idea being that if you just stay in the same place forever then some sort of sweeping strategy by the monster would get you but if you're moving around all the time you're kind of increasing the monster's speed because you're more likely to bump into them if you're both moving yeah so here's a nice way to think about it the monster has two different methods that it can use it can either go to places it's been before or it can go to places that it's never been and the princess can either stay still and you know be not moving and therefore not add any velocity to the monster's velocity yep when you, if you change your frame of reference or it can go to the places the monster's already been and in that case it's kind of Assuming that the monster's using the strategy where it's going to places it's never been before, and you sort of hide in its footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it can be sort of abstracted further into, do you go to a previous place, or do you go to a new place as the princess? Because the princess does, um, doesn't really know, the, but if you move, you're more likely to go somewhere where the monster's never been before. The optimum strategy for the monster seems to be, you pick a small rectangle somewhere in the room, yep. and you go and sweep that rectangle. And then after you're finished, you pick another rectangle, independently of the one that you picked before, and you go and sweep that, and you keep doing that. Right, so... So you, it's sometimes going backwards, and sometimes isn't, but it's all at random. Right, and this, and, and you, could just, you could just keep breaking that down further and further, and there must yep. be a, a, an optimal sub-categorization of the room. That's what we're playing with. So we've got how big a rectangle do you pick for the monster, and you've got how much time does the princess weight at each place and both feed off each other right and it becomes complicated so we have bounds in these things it's one of those problems which has been open for a while yeah imagine doing it in 3D or more now I can imagine that in 3D that it becomes well first incredibly difficult to solve and secondly so it's interesting right you know about the average distance random walk in different dimensions I do yep yeah and how I think it's now correct me if I'm wrong because you know and I I'm vaguely recalling 
but in one D, you are on average yep. going to be back where you started. In yep. 2D, you're on average going to be root 2 units away, or something like that. Uh, so, in 2D, you always end up back where you started with probability 1 still. Okay. There's some, something to do with root 2 gets involved at some point, or 1 over root 2. Hmm. And then, in higher dimensions, you just you run away, and then you, know, you never come back. So, in 3D, um, the, the probability of getting back to where you started is 0. 0.3405. Hmm. Um, I don't know that off the top of my head. I thought we were going to end up talking about these random walk coefficients, so I already brought up a page. Okay. Um, it's some... So, random walk coefficients are one of those things which terrify me, and I don't understand why other people aren't terrified of. Let me explain. A random walk, uh, in 1D, imagine you're flipping a coin, and if you got heads, you go north, if you've got tails, you go south. And you keep doing that, and so you're taking one step north or one step south every flip. It could be that uh, at some point, thousands of flips into the future, you're hundreds of uh, metres north, hundreds of steps north. But with certainty, with probability one, eventually you will end up back where you started. And every point in there, with certainty, you will get to probability one at some point in the future. In 2D, so you can go north, south, east, or west, and imagine you're rolling a d4, or you're flipping two coins and using a little table to get your results. So you're randomly going north, south, east, or west 25% of the time. It's one of the surprising things uh, in undergrad statistics courses that you always end up back what you started with probability one. Like, again, it's certain. Yeah. But it's a lot less obvious to think about that one. Yeah. But if you rolled a d6 to go north, south, east, or west, up or down, you don't necessarily end up back where you started. So if you're travelling through 3D space, which is the space we happen to live in, even with if you're an infinitely livable person, so you're immortal, and you're travelling around the galaxy, and let's say the universe lasts forever, then you've got about a third chance of getting to any particular point, even in infinite time. And so you can very much get lost in space. Forever. Yeah. And that's a forever, like, with a hard underline under it. But take heart that if you lose your child in a supermarket, they will always return to a space they've already been before in infinite time. Yep. <laughs> Whereas if you lose them in a infinitely big 3D supermarket with your jetpacks on. Yeah, if you're a fish... And you're yep. in an infinite fish supermarket. That That's could, a better analogy. That can take advantage of going up or down in the infinite ocean. Then you've, yeah, I mean, you better hope you put a little tracker beam on them, or that you get a whale to do a long distance call. The stats only get worse as you up the dimensions. I can imagine. So 4D is about a fifth. Uh, 5D is 0 0.1352, whatever that is as a fraction. Um, and so each time you up these dimensions. It, it gets lower, and it tends to zero. But it does so fairly slowly. Hmm. So if you're a Time Lord, where you're also going through time, you're in 4D, you've got about a fifth chance of ending up at any particular time and space. If you're a David Tennant-esque, where they're going into different realities, as well as through 3D space and also time, so you're in 5D, then you've got about 0 0.1352. 
chance of getting back to any particular dimension and time and space. They never should have gone to that blimp dimension. No. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I hate that blimp dimension. The, the other thing I think of is, have you read the Terry Pratchett novel The Long Earth? I have not. In that, they're skipping through different versions of Earth. And again, it's a 4D problem. It's just a 4D spatial problem, rather than a 4D space and time thing. Or uh, think uh, the Philip Pullman novels with the subtle knife, where you're going into other dimensions. Yeah. My problem with extra-dimensionality, as it applies to reality, is that you never know if you're going to get back to your exact position in 4D space. And what I mean is that you're, in, you're at a very precise point in the fourth spatial dimension. Like a very precise defined plane. And yep. if it's infinitely divisible, you're never going to get back to the exact same point. And it, it may be that you know you can get really, really close and it's super similar. Yep. But it's never going to be your 4D plane that you're on. Or 3D plane, I guess. I know, it worries me as well. Yeah. Um, in a... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know... I watch a lot of sci-fi. One day, if I accidentally get bumped into by a 4D cube and get knocked out of my plane of existence. Uh, um, have you seen the Cube films? No. I have not seen Cube and Cube 2 Hypercube. There's a uh, Cube Prime as well, the prequel. Oh, wow. Uh, in Cube this 2, square. you're in for a treat and uh, the antagonist of the movie is literally a 4D cube. That's very concerning. Yeah, I, well, yeah. Um, th- those films are good fun, but the maths is not right. There's a good thing that I want to I wanna play around with in... I think it's in... I don't know if it's in VR only, but the the person who created the video game Mega Cure, which is a, which is a, a 4D puzzle... 5D puzzle game, if you include Rolling time. around... Collecting stuff one. No, that's Katamari. Oh, Kat- okay. That's Katamari Damacy. Uh, Migakure is is this sort of samurai, and he's in 5D space, including time, and he sort of has to p- puzzle around the place. But anyway, so this person, um, whose name escapes me, but has, has an impressive name, if I remember correctly, has created a, a 4D puzzle box, and it's... Oh, a toy box, and it's full of like 40 shapes and 40 cubes, and I think okay. it, I think it's VR only, and you can pick them up and you can sort of drop them around, and you'll notice that sort of when you drop one 40 cube onto another, it, it may sort of tilt the other one out of reality, and it sort of disappears, and you can you can kind of get a feel for how they sort of bounce around each other and 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 collide, but of course you you only have one 3D perspective on it. Have you have you played Braid? I have played Braid, yeah. I completed Braid. It was good. Hmm. Well, all, all the stars. Including the ones that you have to wait like a day to get. Uh, oh, I don't know about stars, but I, I, I finished the plot. I um played it for about a week intensively and then never went back. Back in 2012. Listening to your videos on YouTube. The final puzzle is art. We won't spoil it. No. Go play I, it, guys. I, I mean, I, I won't spoil, like how to solve it or anything it's just so well designed yep it's the 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 yeah I was about to and look at the linking here it's about a monster and a princess so it is (laughs) so it is (laughs) 
When I was applying to be a tab, which is the slang term, offensive slang term for a Cambridge student. Yeah. No, they self-identify as it. Do they? Yeah. Bloody tabs. Um, uh, so it comes from Cantab, right? Yes, Last it does. Cambridge. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I was nearly, I was nearly a, a, a mathematician tab. Uh, and uh, which is what I gather is the hardest university course in the world although you know I'm not sure if that still holds up there was a just an offhand comment made by one of the professors that was sort of guiding us around Churchill College um, which incidentally has the exact same architecture as the college that we ended up at in in Oxford Um, 1950s and brutalist and beautiful uh, same same designer the uh, the hall it looks exactly Jacobson. like Apple. Yeah, it's I think Arnie Jacobson, and it has sort of it. it you should it's just it's spooky. You should look at it. it and, and they sort of have Henry Moore. No, not Henry Moore. Who do we have? Barbara Hepworth stuff lying around the place as well. It's weird. Anyway, you made sort of an offhand comment about how you know if you're doing this course, you should have some curiosity about mathematics. And if you're looking at ducks on a pond, you'll see that the the wake that they leave always has the same angle and why is that and i thought about that for years and i was like why why do the ducks have why is the angle always the same and so i'm going to just go through the answer because it's quite easy um i'm game yeah sounds good right now and then and then I'll, what i really want to talk about is is is, is thinking a bit more about that the first thing that you might possibly think of would be, oh, it's something to do with the shape of the duck, right? And as the water flows off the duck, that angle is some tangent to the duck's body. We know this can't really be the case because different ducks can be different shapes. And also if you have like a boat or something like that, that's straight down the side, the wake that they leave isn't straight. Okay. Um, so if you think about how waves work, they move across the pond. You know, if you drop a rock into a pond, the waves emanate outwards. You don't statically change. Unless the temperature is very cold and they freeze. Yes, I agree. Well, there's still waves in the ice. Oh, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta think about them phonons. So the answer that I came up with, actually, is that that angle is the angle determined by the speed of the travelling of waves on top of the water versus the speed of duck. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, so that does. the duck's moving forward at a certain speed and the waves are moving outwards at a certain speed and then that makes a triangle. So you have a kind of tan going on. Yeah, so it, it, it makes a triangle in, in velocity space that maps beautifully onto a slope in real space. Incidentally, this is the second time in two days in a conversation with you where we got to a point and I've said, oh, and then we just take tan of stuff. That's true. Tan it up. You have a problem about rolling cheese that we were talking about yesterday. Oh, yeah. And the answer was just tan. Incidentally to the listeners, sometimes Alex and I talk and don't record. Um, <laughs> That's true. We just have conversations like normal people. Turns out. But it's still about maps. Turns out we're friends. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Um... Although we did, we did, we were talking about them. Were we talking about the podcast? No, we weren't. You get, you just sent me a puzzle. Anyway, anyway, 
I do that. Alex sends sends people puzzles without, like, them wanting them, and then suddenly they're (laughs) burdened with a puzzle, and they have to deal with it. And if they're like me, they won't be able to rest until they deal with it. I wanted to go and do something else, but I had this puzzle, so I just sort of had to sit there and solve it. So, you get this, what I call a trapezium, which incidentally is also the name of the shape. Uh, trapezoid to Americans. Trapezoid. Yeah. Clown box that's, uh, <laughs> that comes behind the duck. And uh, as any, any good mathematician knows, uh, if you extend the edges, and this is what I really want to talk about, if you extend the edges of the trapezium slash trapezoid slash clown box, you can make it into some kind of a cone or a, or a triangle. And I wanted to know the point of the top of that triangle. Yep. Is it significant? In front of the duck? Wow, that's the thing. Yeah. Is it sig- is in the duck? Is it in the duck? Is it in front of the duck? Is it significant? Is it interesting in any way? What happens when the duck starts turning? If I swim along, is where is my triangle point? Mm. Like, do I physically have one and it's always in the same place? Yeah. If the angle's always the same, it should be. Because you're saying it's independent of the speed of swimming. I do, oh, I don't think it's independent of the speed of swimming. It's certainly independent of the speed of water. So are you saying that the angle changes depending on speed of duck? Yes, the angle changes. And so, therefore, the uh, the point will change. The ratio of the speeds is what matters here. We're just taking tan of the ratio of the speeds. Or arctan. Because you've got yeah. the speed in which the wave is going out, like left or right, as the uh, the duck travels up and down. Yes. And so arc tan of that varies, not linearly, but, I mean, we know what tan does. That's well defined. As the duck's velocity tends to infinity, the point also tends to infinity in front of it. Yes. And as the duck's velocity tends to zero, or is zero, because it's totally doable, you can just do it, the point yep. is the back of the duck. Yes. Now, the back of the duck's a little poorly defined. Uh, I don't think we should worry too much about it that. It feels like the the wake comes from the widest point of the duck. As the speed tends to zero, it feels like the ripples come from the midpoint of the widest point of the duck. Yes, or it comes from the front of the duck. Or... The waves come from the pushing up of water made by the legs frantically moving underneath the duck. Mm, Yeah, you're right. So we just need to pick one because we could also assume this to be some kind of outboard motor and it could just be the back of of a rectangular boat. Let's do that. Yeah. So if we just assume the duck has an outboard motor on the back and the duck is a rectangular shoebox, then we can say that the point at duck velocity zero is, is 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 at the back. Now, the location of the point within or without the duck is dependent on the size of the duck, right? So yep. if the duck was very short front ways, not particularly deep duck. <laughs> you sound like insults. Then it wouldn't take much velocity for the point to be outside of the duck. Yes. If the duck right. was incredibly long and noodly... <laughs> <laughs> then, then we might we might struggle. I I think this is all well defined. 
It's just a ratio of things. It's just a ratio of speeds. It's all sort of coincidence. To get the point wherever you want it, say you want it in the beak of the duck, you can do that by just speeding up to the the right speed. Yeah, by going. It's faster. all continuous. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right that for most speeds of duck, the point of the triangle is in front of the duck. So all you have to do is look out onto a body of water, he says, looking out at the body of water that he lives next to in the hopes he sees a duck. No, there's none there. And extend the lines that the duck's creating and see if it's within the duck or outside of the duck. Also, if the duck's turning, uh, Mm. what happens there? Does the dot move? And you've got to think about the um, infinitesimal clown box created out the back of the duck. I think it does. It's like a big arrow moving around, like you're playing asteroids. Yeah. If the duck is drifting, which is to say it's holding the R button in Mario Kart, then the dot will be on the other side to which the duck is turning. So the duck will be turning to the left, and the dot will be out its right-hand side. As if it was just moving in that direction. It doesn't matter where the duck faces. All we care about is the vector of its movement. Yeah, which is incidentally, that's how you get the shallow duck, because you have put the duck on its side. Like, it's moving so fast, and then, it, and then it turns sideways. You mentioned a cone earlier, which would be what would happen if it was moving in 3D. So if you imagine a fish travelling through the water, yep. presumably it's making a cone behind it. Yes, it would be, yeah. Where any cross-section of that would be the 2D problem we were dealing with before. And you can see this when you watch planes breaking the sound barrier. For instant, the the air becomes visible behind them, and you can see that it's a cone. And the point of that cone, yeah, it might be in the middle, yeah. it might be in the outside. Instantly for planes, because, air, because sound travels so much faster, the waves travel faster in the air than they do in water. Especially because in the air, waves are um, forwards and backwards waves. They're not up and down waves. So they'll travel a lot faster. Much like how earthquake waves, the waves that go up and down, hit you first. And then you get the side-to-side ones that are really damaging. Um, P&S waves. Yeah. Because of that, because sound waves are P waves, not S waves, the cone is, is not as long and slender as you may think that it would be for a plane Mm. that is breaking the sound barrier. And in actuality, the whole point of when you're breaking the sound barrier is when your velocity equals the velocity of the speed of air. So at that point, your wake is 45 degrees, exactly. Yep. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, which you can see if you watch videos of planes breaking sound barrier. A 90 degree angle cone, or 45 degree, however you want to measure it, going behind it. So, poker puzzle. Poker puzzle. Uh, different to a lot of the puzzles that we've done on the show, uh, this one is kind of well known. Like, it's more well known than, say, the coin problem. Do you know poker hands? Like, the hand shrimps in poker? When it gets to the high end, I don't. We're going to be talking mostly about the high end. So, from best to worst, the best is the royal flush. Now, that's just a fancy name for a straight flush, which is ace down to king. So a flush is where you've got all the same suit. A straight is where you've got five in a row. Um, and so a straight flush is both of those things. And so the best straight flush is the one which includes the highest card. So it'd be ace, king, queen, jack, ten of the same suit. And there's also suit strength as well, right? Uh, in the uh, No, 
No, there isn't. Okay. There's going to be draws in this. Okay. So after the Royal Flush, you've got all the other straight flushes, ranked by whatever the top card in them is. Ten downwards is better than nine downwards. Yes. The next ranked thing is four of a kind. Okay. So you've got all the twos. So. Uh, then full house, which is three of one card, two of another. Yep. Then a flush, which is five of the same suit, but not in order. Mm-hmm. Then a straight, which is they're, they're going to be of different suits, but you've got, say, two up to six. Hmm. Then three of a kind, then two pair, then pair, then just high card. Quick aside. Yep. Is the value of these hands in the order of their probability? Or is there some legacy thing that means that some of them are in the wrong order? They're in order. Although, I mean, it's hard to think about, say, a flush versus a straight. Usually when you have something like a straight, a flush, or a full house, you're like, ooh, this is a winning hand. And you don't kind of think to compare it with other things. Um, You can change the probabilities, the relative probabilities of these things by doing things like playing Texas Hold'em, where you've got, everyone's got a a shared net of cards in the middle and you're picking the best five cards of the five cards in the middle and your two cards in your hand. Yeah. So the relative probabilities don't stay the same in different varieties. If you add in wild cards like Jokers as well, uh, again, the probabilities don't stay in order. You're more likely to get, say, your four of a kind than you would in the normal game. Uh, my only experience is with Texas Hold'em, which I assume is the one where the three are laid down and there's two face down and everybody shares them and then they get turned up one at a time and there's sort of three m- mini rounds. Yeah, so you get uh, initial bidding, just looking at two cards in hand, then you get three put down on the table, then you put another one down on the table, then you put another one down on the table. Yeah. Because we grew up in the 90s and noughties, that is the poker variety of our generation. Yeah. And so you get things like James Bond, the uh, Casino Royale, playing Texas Hold'em, because that's the one that everyone's familiar with now. Sure. Um, but in the book, were they playing Texas Hold'em, or were they playing something else? So, gambling in um, James Bond, he played all sorts of different games throughout the books. He, he played a lot of Baccarat, which is a dice game. Hmm. There's no skill. Um You've just got net odds against you. It's a bit like playing roulette. But I bet he won anyway, because he's so cool. So Ian Fleming was quite into bridge. And there's a, a bridge game in one of the books where like everyone has crazy hands and they get up to 7-0 uh, Trump and make it. Huh. That, that, that's like the highest the bids can go in bridge. Right. Yeah, it's James Bond. Sure. <laughs> right, the puzzle here. Let me phrase it. Uh, it's a two-person game. Let's say you're going first. The rounds are going to be, you have a pack of cards, normal 52. You can pick five cards from it. You physically take them out of the pile. That's going to be your poker hand. Then from the remaining cards, the remaining 47, I can pick five cards. Then from the remaining 42 cards, you can get rid of any cards from your hand and pick up to replace. So say you could get rid of three from your hand and pick any three that you want from the pack. To make a five card hand. And then I get to do the same. So I could uh, get rid of any in my hand and pick from the remaining cards. And at that point we're not sure how many there are because it depends on what you did. Because you get first pick, to make it fair, I win in the case of equal hands. So we both have a straight flush ending on the same high card, then I win. So my brain's been a little distracted on the fact that you said I pick five at random and then you pick five at random. Not a random. You get to pick whichever five cards you like. Oh, wow. Okay. 
with that. So you're aiming to make the best hand, uh, but you pick five cards, I pick five cards, you can uh, get rid of some of your cards and pick to replace, and then I can do the same, and then we compare hands. But it's perfect information, because you can see what's in the pack. So you know what I've picked. Okay. So why can't I just pick the the bestest flush? So let's say you pick a straight flush. Yeah. Uh, then I could pick a straight flush, and then you can't improve on your hand, and I can't improve on my hand, and then in the case of a draw, I win. So why can't you just pick a flush? Well, exactly. Can you stop me? Right. If I pick all the aces... Okay, work it through. I pick I pick all the aces and and the king of hearts. And then now you can't get the you can't get a royal flush. Um I pick the other three kings plus the queen below your king plus um another queen. Yeah. And so is your full house then better than my four aces? Well, no, but we're going to have another round of picking. And I'm aiming to get a straight flush. It won't be a royal flush anymore, but it'll be a straight flush, probably ending in the king. Oh, I have to get rid of three, don't I? Oh, you can get rid of however many you want. So you can get rid of all five if you want. Well, why can't I just not? You can st- you can stand on what you've got, and you'll have four of a kind. And then on my go, I'm going to uh, upgrade mine to a straight flush. Why didn't you just get the straight flush to start with? If I did that, then you could get a better straight flush, because yours would end in an ace and mine would only end in a king uh-huh, so right, okay. I picked all the kings to stop you getting a straight flush going downwards I see mm. so it's all about blocking the other person's straight flushes gotcha I can't get all I can't get four four queens and the jack because then you'll just trade in everything for the four aces okay and then you could upgrade to a straight flush no I don't get another I don't get another go do I oh this is on your second go yeah okay yeah, you're right. So I can't can't do that. Oh, I have one particular king, but you've taken that queen. So I think what we've done here is we've shown that picking four aces and king doesn't work as the first move. Because I, I get access to straight flushes below it. Right, okay. So I'm just going to go f- royal flush all the parts. Uh, and I pick one of the other suits as royal flush. And then as soon as I've got that, you're not going to be able to beat me. Yeah, it's a draw. Oh, and I win in the case of draws. Yeah. So you can't let me get a straight flush at any point. Uh, sorry, a royal flush at any point. Okay. What if I do four queens and a jack? Yeah, okay. See, that seems quite good. So what are my what are my choices then? Well, you, your choices are either to, to mimic what you did when it was four aces and a king, which is, yep. which is a pretty good strategy. But then you get a straight flush, and I won't be able to get a straight flush including one of my aces? because you've blocked the the distance below. You've taken all the queens. So, I wouldn't pick all the aces. Let's say that I pick now all of the tens. Yeah. You can't fit a straight flush above my tens. Because ace, king, queen, jack, you need a ten to complete it. And so the best straight flush you could do would be lower than ten. Yeah. So if I took all the nines, well then you could take all the jacks. And then I would take all the aces, and then you would get a straight flush. Like, on our second move, both of us are always going to be doing uh, some sort of straight flush. Yeah. You're almost there. Um, So, picking four queens 
stops me getting straight flushes, but the problem was I could go below and just pick a, a better straight flush than you. Okay, so you're saying I should pick all threes? It's too low, because if you pick all threes, I can just pick a straight flush. Okay, so it's the jack. Almost. <laughs> it's the ten. It's the ten. So let's say you pick all tens and any other random card. I can't fit a straight flush above it. Yep. So I'm never going to be able to win with a royal flush or anything involving like more than a nine downwards. So you just take a nine down flush. Uh, well, th- there's different cases here. Should we should we work through them? Go for it. We we could take a straight straight flush ending in a nine. That's going to be the best it could possibly be. But whatever I do, you're then going to on your second move upgrade one of your tens into a royal flush. Right. The other possibility is I take four above the tens, say all the jacks or all the kings or something, in which case you can't get a royal flush, but you can get a straight flush ten downwards. Yeah. Or anywhere up and to I can't that beat point. Them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you take the kings I could go queen downwards. So that's it. Wow. That's the uh the solution. Yeah. Pick four tens and whatever you like, and then upgrade to a straight flush now that you've blocked my potential for straight flushes. Hmm. It's unique as an answer. Yeah. Uh, apart from that fifth card where you can pick whatever you like. Very cool. Wait. What about three players? <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about it. Don't no, about I'm not going to. Yeah. It's too hard. I, again, uh, like our very first problem that we did on the show, you can get teaming up strategies. Yes, you probably could. So thank you for joining us this evening. If you're listening any other time of the day, this is best enjoyed in the evening. Uh, with, you know, a nice light on beside you, maybe a whiskey, fireplace, who knows. But it's that time of the show where we look back at the problems we did, and we talk about how satisfied or unsatisfied we were with them. So, Alaric, what was the first problem we did? We talked about the Monster Princess game. Right. We talked about strategies there, and we ended up talking about, uh, they called Polya's uh, random warp coefficients, which was the uh, the probability of getting lost in one or two or three D space. And how well and satisfied are you with what we talked about? Given that we know that it's a very difficult slash unsolvable problem. Nine. Oh really? So context yeah. context counts, does it? Uh, we talked about everything that I wanted to talk about, and the fact that you were the one that brought out random walks when I had prepared a whole lot of things on it. it was like, yep, we're thinking about the same things here. Okay. Okay. It's all good. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna give us about an eight or so. Mm. Um, I got to bring up Roombas, which of course is my favourite topic. Of course, uh, he says as though anybody would know that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was good. I liked it. Then we talked about the angle that came from ducks as they go along. Yes, or boats or anything, but ducks is the most interesting, and ducks is where I first heard of it. I know when I walk up to my parents today along the canal, I will be seeing the ducks as the little triangles that they actually are. Yeah, I was sort of imagining a sort of green sphere, translucent, that is at some point at the peak of that cone. Do you think there's a wake going underneath them as well? Like, Ah, do you think the cone extends? A half cone, yeah. Yeah. But I suspect that water waves travel oh, inside the water. Think about this: speed. the air that they're travelling through in the top half is also a cone, just has a different speed. So I think they have a triangle and two cones 
and all three have different angles, and there will be three, three dots. There's a triangle from the air as well. So the triangle is just the uh, cross-section of each of the cones. So you have the cone on the bottom and you have the cone on the top. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's three triangles. they're different sizes. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so ducks are weird. There's a lot to ducks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they multifaceted. Aqua birds. Um, I, I was pretty satisfied. We didn't really go into any algebra, but I think the the readers would be uh, satisfied that we didn't because I know it can be difficult to follow along with. Yep. Yeah. Ten. Whoa. I know, right? Hardcore. It's not even a pure math problem, but I realised I haven't been giving enough tens. Yeah, you also have not been giving enough ones, but we'll get to that <laughs> at some point. <laughs> um, yes, I think I'll give it the same as the monster one. I'm feeling an ambient level of satisfaction in this episode. So, is that eight? Yep. Yeah. And then the last one was was poker, which, you know, I got there in the end. <laughs> so, I think I'd like to call that a ten. Yeah, let's ten it. Ten it. We've got some tens in the bag. Wow. We can do some uh, horrifically unsolvable problems next week. Yeah, I'll do one of my so. ones where I'll be like, "How many stuffed animals can you fit in a box?" <laughs> like a, something like that that I always come up with, or some kind of weird geometry thing. How many goats and sports cars do you need in the room before there's a 50% chance that they share a birthday? Alaric, we said we would never talk about that. (laughs) I don't want to remember my 22nd birthday. (laughs) There was a lot of goat feed needed to purchase for that birthday. More so than cake. (laughs) Um, good. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Odds and Evenings. We hope you have had a nice fortnight, and we'll see you next fortnight. It means two weeks. That that means two weeks. (laughs) To all our new international listeners, that means two weeks. We're all getting a bit silly. Let's re-record that. (laughs) Let's re-record that that episode. The whole episode. Um, Let's let's re-record that. I'm hoping the, uh, the, the goat... A Monty Hall birthday problem is making it in. Oh, yeah, no, that will. <laughs> Don't worry. Wait. <laughs> how, how, how many goats share a birthday with sports cars? <laughs> it's uh, maths that you overheard from the next table in the pub. We had a great, uh, we had a great moment once when uh, we were doing particle accelerator physics. And in particle accelerator physics, you use the... Uh, giga electron volt as your energy unit um, yep. which is the the amount of energy passed uh, into an electron when it goes through one gigavolt of, of potential difference and the the lecturer kind of made a joke about how you could simplify further by making e equals i equals pi equals one um, <laughs> and, and, and simplifying like that and then, and then he said, oh yeah, that, that would probably be very confusing for when the, the people who wipe off the boards come in at the, at the end of the <laughs> session. Just, yeah, overheard maths. Maths that you wipe off the board that shows that E equals I equals pi equals 1. Thank you for listening to this week's Odds and Evenings. I hope you had a good time. We had a good time. We got through three puzzles at rapid pace. 
and uh, we will see you in the next two weeks or so. Where can you find us in the meantime, though, Alloy? So our Twitter is our, our main place to go, so at Odds and Evenings. And you can also find me on Twitter on a personal basis at, at SpeakMouthWords. That's SpeakMouthWords, one word. Our website, which a lot of you are listening to it on, is um, www.oddsandevenings.com. And thank you for those of you who are subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher or Beyond Pod is my favourite one. All two or three of you that are subscribed on Beyond Pod. Uh, isn't it nice to have it delivered to you? It means you don't have to go onto our website and sort of be tied to your computer or whatever. This is the future. Definitely the future of podcasting is podcatching apps like it's always been. Um, additionally, we have a subreddit that nobody uses but if you'd like to go and populate our subreddit with uh, any feedback or you know i post episode links to episodes on there you're you're welcome to it's a place for you to talk about the show and uh tell us what fools we've been that of course of course the dot in the duck is inside the duck uh and alaric you also have a website as well don't you yeah alaricsteven.com so a-l-a-r-i-c step hen Cool. So, uh, have a good evening, and we'll see you next time. But thank you for all of those people who are subscribing through their actual apps. It means we don't have to keep plugging it to you. Yeah. It's, that was a bit aggressive. That's your way of... Uh, <laughs> that was a bit <laughs> aggressive as well. I'll, I'll, I'll do that a bit. And thank you for those of you who are subscribed along your actual apps. Uh, it means we don't have to... F- Kurt Girdle. Can you drill it into your skull? <laughs> <laughs>